0: Well, amen. Aren't you proud to have young people who are willing to stand up and uh, open? I can't see out here, guys. We need some light out here. Don't think you're going to go to sleep on me, okay? A little bit more. Aren't you proud to have young people that are willing to stand up and sing up and proclaim Jesus publicly? And listen, they're up here looking at you. And they did it, so amen, I appreciate them they we got some good young people, some of you parents did some really good jobs, amen we got some and I'm glad you're here. good crowd. I have to tell you when i uh first went into ministry when uh when holidays would roll around and I knew that the crowd was going to be small i'd uh I'd kind of get down a little bit and struggle a little bit when you see empty chairs you know and but I have to tell you I'm at the stage of my ministry that now I'd like to be at the lake with them, you know. Uh, So I'm glad that you're here. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible and go with me to the book of Revelation, okay? Revelation chapter 2. Everybody take your Bible and we'll be looking at some verses in Revelation chapter 2 this morning and chapter 3, okay? I want to begin by asking you a question. And it's a sobering question, but I believe it's a question that our Master has every right to ask. And I think it's a question that we should consider. If Jesus, as He sits on His throne, as you know He does, if Jesus were to look down at us, and if He were to write a letter to Indian Springs Baptist Church, What do you think he would write? Hmm? Let me make it a little more personal. If Jesus, as he looks down from his throne, and since you're a part of this faith family, instead of writing a letter to the collective body, say that Jesus, as he looks down, writes a letter, and he has Mark's name on it, or Lisa's name on it. What do you think? Jesus would write. Do you think maybe he would say, well done, stay with it? Do you think perhaps he might write, hey, wait a minute Indian Springs, what's going on here? If Jesus were to write us a letter, do you think that he would be impressed with what Indian Springs is doing or trying to do? Or you think perhaps he might be unimpressed with us band of followers. For the next several weeks, six, seven, eight weeks, I want to begin what I'm going to call an old-fashioned summer Bible study. And I want us to look at the letters or the proclamation. That Jesus wrote to his churches. And I want us to see what he has to say, not just to churches then, but what he might say to us today. I want it to be a a big Sunday school lesson over the next seven weeks, okay? That means no discussion, though, okay? I want us to have a class. And my desire is that it be a a, a teaching time. Now, God, the Master's messed up my plans before, so He's certainly willing to do that. But I want to teach. And I want us to explore what Jesus wrote to the seven churches in what's called Asia, the Lycus Valley. Now, by way of introduction, let me just tell you, they were actual churches... That existed back then. But the application is to us today. I believe that what we find in the letters we're going to be studying are some things that we see in our churches today. I don't think that these letters were for ages of time. There are some who say that these seven letters, which is the number of completion, were letters to depict different ages of the church age leading up to the time that Jesus comes back. There are some arguments for that. People smarter than me believe that. The gang, I don't believe that, okay? Here's what I believe, that these seven letters were letters to churches that existed back then, but they're applications to churches that exist today. In fact, let me throw a map up there for you. I actually think this is what happened. John is on Patmos. He gets this, this revelation from Jesus. These, these letters are, are not John's letters, okay? These are letters from Jesus as he looks down at the churches. That's sobering, isn't it? Because you see, Jesus is looking down at Indian Springs, okay? I think what he did, he just got a letter from Jesus, he wrote it down, he handed it to a courier. I think the first church he came to was Ephesus, and so he kind of dropped off the letter to them, and I think he went to Smyrna, and Pergamon, and Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so I don't think they represent ages of the church age. I believe they represented churches then, and churches today. Now this morning, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to just do an introduction to you, Okay. And in doing the introduction, as we look at a few verses from every church or every letter, I want to share my heart with you. And I want to tell you what I believe the crying need in our churches today. And it's not to be more impressive to the world. Jesus was not impressive to the world, was he? No. Wasn't he just rejected? Read Isaiah. He was rejected. He was despised. And I think there's a danger in the culture in which we live that there's a a real danger that we need to be more impressive to the world. And I, I don't think that we shouldn't do our best. Certainly we should. But gang, one of the things that, that I want to do with these letters, and one of the things I want to, to teach you about, and one of the things I want us to talk about over the course of the next six or seven weeks is this. We don't need to be impressive to the world. The crying need of churches and God's people today in the culture in which we live is to be faithful. And I tell you, these churches that are trying to be impressive might find one day when they stand before the Lord Jesus that they missed it. I want to be a pastor. That when my day is done and the curtain is pulled and the dust settles, and that day when I stand before my Savior, I want him to say, Tom, you were a little weird, and you're really strange at times. But Tom, you are faithful. And my prayer for you and my challenge to you is for you to say, regardless of the culture and regardless of all the pressures that I live under and all the pressures to conform, I commit and I surrender my life as best I know how to be faithful To that one who walks in the midst of the lampstand, he who walks among the seven churches. It's It's as if Jesus comes down to these churches to inspect his churches. In fact, in every letter, here's what we're going to read. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's plural. That's important. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means that some's going to hear and some's not going to hear. It means that if you're going to hear, you've got to have an ear to hear and some don't. It also means that you've got to be listening. And gang, some not only do not have an ear to hear, some are not listening today. And so the study is for those who have an ear. And the study is going to be for those who are listening. And so here's my challenge to you. Would that be you? Are you really listening to what the Spirit says? Is saying to the churches, and let me get personal again with you. The older I get, the less I care about how we look to the world, but more about how we look to God. The less I care about appealing to the world, but the more I care about how you and I represent truth to a people who desperately, desperately need truth. You see, dear people, truth is confrontational at times. But only truth ultimately sets people free. And so if all we're doing is trying to be impressive, then the temptation for us is to be appealing. And if you're trying to appeal, some call it seeker-sensitive, then truth can get watered down so that we can be accommodating. Now, from a world's perspective, that may be good, okay? Because the world's into marketing. The world's into social media and things like that. But from a God perspective, if all we're trying to do is to be impressive, and if all we're trying to do is to accommodate people, then the danger is we're not going to be truthful. And in the end, they won't be free. And in the end, they'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. So in the end, what good is it, you see? Now, what I, what I want you to know, and you know this, so I'll just remind you that there's always been A tension between the world and the church always has been. And beloved, there always will be. Someone said there's always been a tension between Christ and Caesar. And we have to recognize, it was like that here. Even before the apostle John died, error had already begun creeping into the church. It was already there. So we shouldn't expect any difference. But I think part of the problem in Western culture, in our culture, is that we've had it so good. That because of the sacrifice of men and women who died, we're celebrating them today. And mainly because of the providence of God. There's never been a nation like the United States of America, right? Brother, we, we, you sisters, we, we don't know what it's like to suffer. We don't know what it's like to sacrifice, but the church has always suffered, and the church has always been called to sacrifice. It's just that we're a little immune from it because we've been so blessed. Whether that'll continue, I I don't know. I know one thing, that you and I are in for a challenge culturally today. Now, we're going to win, but we're going to be challenged Nonetheless, let me tell you what this letter is going to do, these letters. First of all, they're going to challenge us, okay? They're going to address areas of our lives and areas of our church that you and I need to think about and address. There's something in every letter that's going to call you into question and it's going to make you squirm. Nothing wrong with that, okay? But also in every letter, there's going to be words of comfort. There's going to be a praise, then there's going to be a problem, and then he's going to, John, Jesus, through John's going to give us a plan of action. There's going to be encouragement in our struggles, and what I want you to know as we begin, because I'm not going to mealy mouth, and I'm not going to back off of anything that Jesus says, okay? So let me go ahead and say this at the beginning. Ultimately, we're going to win. It's been set. Jesus is the victor. He keeps the scoreboard. The final score is determined. Victory is ours. We're champions in the midst of the battles. I want to tell you, beloved, those of you that know Jesus Christ personally, those who have been touched by His sovereign grace, you may not feel like it, and sometimes you may wonder about it, But I want to tell you, you're on the victor's stand. One day you'll reign with Him in glory, even while we must battle elements that stand opposed to God. I'm not worried about the Boy Scouts. They blew it. I've always loved the Boy Scouts, but I want to tell you, they blew it. Some of you parents are going to be faced with some challenges coming up. When your little boy starts to grow up and says, I want to be a Boy Scout, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do there, see. There will always be challenges like that. But at the end, you have won, and I have won. And each letter, except for Laodicea, Jesus is going to find something to commend. So we're going to see some commendations, okay? And every letter except for Smyrna and Philadelphia, Jesus is going to find something to condemn. None of us have it right, and so Jesus is going to lay it out, and I hope to bring applications to you that, that uh, will uh, help us uh, wrestle through things here at our church that we're trying to accomplish for God's glory, regardless of how the world thinks about us. Okay, That's hard, because I like people to like me. And that's hard because I want people to say good things about Indian Springs, but I'd far rather have God like me. I'd far rather God at one point, maybe way in the future, say, hey, I'm proud of what you've done, okay? What we're going to find is that Jesus is walking among his churches. Verse 12, we'll read that in a moment. Verse 12 tells us he's right in the middle of them. And let me tell you something else we're going to read in every letter. Now listen, this sobering gang We're going to read in every letter where Jesus says, I know. Don't pass on that too quickly. I know. I know all about you. I know your turmoil. I know your struggles. I know your battles. I know who you are. I know exactly how you are. I can hide from you guys. You can hide from me, right? We're good at putting walls up and masks up. We're good about about, about putting barricades up around our heart. But you see, Jesus cuts through all of that. And Jesus will say to every church, which is not a building but people, Jesus will say, I know. And if he is alive among us, and he controls the lampstands, then he knows us pretty good. Is that startling to you? Is that sobering to you? It ought to be, because I don't know that I want everybody to know about me. I've been trying to hide from people for 30 years almost of ministry. I don't want this exposed. I don't want my heart exposed. But he knows. he knows. He knows me. And he knows you. Okay, let me, uh, before we do a summary, I'm going to do a summary this morning. Uh, let me define some terms for us, okay? Now, the first term I want to define is the word lampstand. And, and so let's take our Bible. Let's look at chapter 1 and look at verse 12 to start with, Okay. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw, notice, seven golden lampstands. Okay? Look down in verse 20. We're going to read 19 and 20 in a moment again, but look at verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and here he defines the lampstands. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay? Now look at chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, what is the lampstand? Well, the lampstand is the church. And you gathered that, didn't you? But I think we ought to ask ourselves, then what then does lampstands do? And the answer, easy answer, you can get it, you blurt it out. The answer is that lampstands emit light. They're not the light. They just hold the light. They emit light. They give off light. Now, another question can be, well, then if they just give off light, who's the light? Who's in charge of the lampstands? And obviously, the answer to that is the one in the middle, the one walking among, that is Jesus Christ. Now, gang, do you understand how serious this is? you understand how serious it is for Indian Springs Baptist Church? Do you realize that Jesus is no, no, under no obligation to come with us, to meet with us, to bless this? Do you understand that, do you? You see, Jesus is looking for his churches, and he's looking for one thing only, the way they emit light. Not every church is a church. Not every church is emitting light. Not every church is doing what God expects and looks to see what the church is doing, supposed to be doing. And I think we as a church need to be very careful that as we do ministry, And as we go through what we sometimes call programs, we need to be very careful that we're doing what Jesus expects us to do. And the only thing he expects us to do is to give off light. And if we're not emitting light, then dear people, we're spending an awful lot of time. And we're spending an awful lot of money doing something that has no lamp stand Do you understand that with me? you understand how important that is? Anybody? Yeah. Hey, we've got some great ministries, and then we have some pretty good programs here. As I wrote that, I I was thinking of a lot of our recess ministry, Terry. I was thinking of our kids' ministry, Mark, our youth ministry, and some of the other things we're doing. Gang, listen, those are good things. Our ESL ministry, that's a good thing. But if it's not emitting light, it's not functioning as a lampstand should, and we're spending an awful lot of energy, perhaps, and an awful lot of money, perhaps, into something that's not even fulfilling what the only thing Jesus expects the church to do, and that's to emit light. And I think I should, and I think you should. I think we all should ask ourselves. My Sunday school teacher, you ought to ask yourself. In this class, when we gather every Sunday, when we gather to sing some songs, when we gather to listen to a preacher rant, when part of them wants to be at the lake with the rest of them, I'm teasing. Are we admitting light? And if we're not, we're not being a church. And if we're not, all we're doing is a bunch of hype to impress a lot of people and never sharing with them the only truth that will change their eternity. Now, the next term I want to define, and there's no real reason to do it other than I like it, is the word angel. There are some who say that this angel there, is the guardian angel that's been designated for the church. Maybe there are some. I don't know. I've known some that I wouldn't have called an angel in a church, but maybe there are. Actually, the word angel means messenger. And so some theologians, which I like the, these guys, they say that the angel is the pastor. Can not get amen, Rich? Come on, brother. I know where you live. My mama always called me an angel. So I kind of like that. The reason I put that in there is because I want you to think of me as an angel. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Let's take our Bible. Let me give you a summary for just a few moments, okay? The first church I want to summarize, and we'll look at next week in detail, is the church at Ephesus. Let's look at chapter 2, and let's read together verse 4 and 5, okay? He said, I have this against you. Notice that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen, repent, and my outline will probably be return. I think it's all ours next week. Do the deeds you did at first. Why? Or Because if you don't, I'm coming. I'm going to remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. I'm telling you, gang, You lose your first love, I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. You lose your first love, he'll pick it up and he'll go down the street. He's under no obligation because we're good people and we're sweet people. He's under no obligation to come here and to bless this mess, you see. Ephesus was a wealthy, prosperous town. They boasted of the worship Diana, a pagan god. Paul started a very strong, I think he was there two, three three years, I guess, a strong, wonderful work. The church at this writing was about 40 years old now. And what had happened, they had lost their enthusiasm, and that's pretty normal in church. In fact, there always seems to be generational shifts in church. What happened was now 40 years later, that, that that, that burning love they had had begun to grow a little cold, and that's pretty normal. That's what churches do, you see. That's why churches should always be forming new units. Because the natural tendency of a church in their small groups is over a period of time when they get to be a certain number or a percentage of the room or whatever. They tend to, to, and they don't even know they're doing it, they tend to put blinders on. And they lose the hunger to reach the guy down the street. That's why you always have got to be building, starting new units somehow you got to figure out how to have space for that, and that's our tension. That's why new churches or new church starts always grow faster than old established churches. That's just the law of church, you see. And here's a church 40 years old that had lost their enthusiasm. They lost their first love. We're going to address a little bit more of that next week. What I want you to know here is that they were strong in their duty but they lost their devotion. Every church is in danger of that. They were right in their orthodoxy, but they had lost their doxology. They defended the faith, but their love was cold. So cold that there's no church in Ephesus today. You see what he's saying here, and we'll develop it next week. You can't lose your compassion. Church, People, you can't lose your passion for God. Let me ask you, what's more important, your head or your heart? Hmm? God's not into big heads. God's into big hearts. People follow not heads. People follow hearts. When it comes to this Christian thing and this church thing, People follow a church that has a passion for Christ, that has a passion for holiness and righteousness. They're looking for people who's not dead, whose hearts are beating aflame for the Word of God and the, and, 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 and the caring of the soul. Ephesus lost. They had it. They lost it. How does the church lose it? Well, you've got to come back next week. Okay? All right, number two, Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 10. Smyrna, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. You're going to be tested. Tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. This was a good church. The only hint of trouble would be in Jesus' words where he said, fear not. The church was undergoing persecution, but it was about to get worse. He encourages them, don't lose courage in the face of temptation. And from a practical perspective, dear church, may I say to you, we who belong to this faith family must never lose courage when the pressure cooker gets hot. And the pressure cooker is heating up in our nation. Religious freedom is beginning to take a hit, and it's going to take a hit. More and more as we see the approaching of our Lord and as we see wickedness rise. We can't lose courage. We must stand on what is right. Moms and dads, dads and moms, you've got to stand on what is right for your kids. You cannot let them meander. You can't meander through life, and you can't let them meander through life. You're going to have to set some priorities and the focus of your family. I, was, I don't get on Facebook, and I got this thing the other yesterday. It says, things you may have missed. Well, I thought someone sent me a message. So I clicked on Facebook, and there was like 5,000 things scrolling through. And I thought, man, this is boring. But I, I looked at some of them. And there's a young lady in our church. And I'm not going to tell you her name because I'll embarrass her. But I want to tell you, I never had such a blessing. it was one of the biggest. She said, I, I don't, what, what did she say? I don't, uh, I don't watch PG-13 because I don't want to ha- it to have an impact on my purity. Is that cool beans or what? A teenager. I'm not going to watch that junk. See? Where did she get that? I would imagine she got it from a mom and a dad. I would hope. Or some, our teacher, or, or the angel. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, she got something that said if I give in to this, it's going to have an impact on me. We can't lose courage. And that was kind of the challenge here Smyrna, okay? Number three, Pergamum. Chapter, I knew this was going to be long, but you're just going to go out and cook barbecue anyway after you're through. Chapter 2, 14 through 16, this is Pergamum. But I have a few things against you because you have some who have hold to the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who, in the same way, hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I'm going to make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Pergamum had a lot of good qualities, but I'll tell you what happened to them. They lost their discipline. It begun to wilt and to give in to the wrong crowd. Listen to me, dear church. When you run run with the wrong crowd, the wrong folks, you know what? You end up being like wrong folks. You hear me? You run with the dogs, guess what? You start barking. You run with cats, you start meowing. You start running with the ducks, you start quacking. Because the people you hang with is the people you become like. You want to change their life? Get them to church. Let the gospel of the Lord Jesus, let the Word of God and the Spirit of God convict them. You don't need to run with them because you'll end up just like them. Nothing judging them. It's just not what Christians should do, you see. They went to the wrong folks. It's incumbent for the church to live in and to walk in truth. Thyatira chapter 2. Verse 19 and 20, I know your deeds, your love. Now, notice these things. This is good. Your love, your faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Boy, if he'd have stopped there, there'd have been a happy hallelujah, wouldn't it? But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. This church had lost their conviction when faced with the challenge of holiness. Toleration is such a, a, a politically big word today. The world tells the world tells us that we're we're to be tolerant of others. That when they say that, what they're doing, they're slapping the church. And they 're slapping Christians, say their argument against us is that we 're not tolerant, that we 're intolerant of others, which is a bunch of bunk. you see they they call us homophobic because uh, we believe homosexuality is wrong, you know, or that we 're anti gay because we believe homosexuality is wrong, they call us uncaring toward uh mothers, because we believe abortion is wrong. And so they say we should be tolerant, but they listen to me. When you're tolerant for evil, and when you're tolerant for iniquity, it always leads to deep sorrow in your life. I've never known anybody, and I've known a bunch that have had abortion. I've never known anybody that has not felt remorse for that. Bless their heart. There's healing in Christ. That's what we've got to point them to. But those who have suffered through that, they're, they're pained people. There's nothing good in that. Let me tell you, I, I've never heard anything good come out of alcohol. I've sure seen a lot of families torn up, families broken apart. I've seen wives abused and children abused because of it. And yet we're to be tolerant of that which takes a life and ruins a life and kills a life, you see. Toleration. I, I want to read something because I don't want to miss it, okay? I wrote down, there are a lot of Jezebels today, and we must do what Jesus told this church, hold fast. Now, here's what I wrote. When you tolerate the wrong people for the wrong philosophy, you lose confidence. And when you lose confidence, you lose conviction, and when you lose conviction, your world becomes chaotic. There's nothing but chaos. Are you with me? Let me read it again. When you tolerate the wrong people for the wrong philosophy, what happens is you lose confidence. When you lose confidence, you lose conviction. And when you lose conviction, the only thing you got left is chaos. Would you agree with me today our families are chaotic? Would you agree with me today churches are chaotic? Would you agree with me today our government is chaotic? Every day something new, right? Would you agree with me today our nation is chaotic? Why? We've lost conviction. Why? Because we've lost confidence. Why? Because we tolerate everything that comes down the pike. And we know I have no frame of reference, or at least we don't use the frame of reference to to judge it by. And the only frame of reference to judge it by, young people, is the Word of God. You see, that's why you need to be at church. That's why you need to be in Sunday school. That's why you need to be under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, because this is God's not general revelation like the sky. It's God's special revelation, and only God's special revelation, when it's taught, presents the dynamic, the potential, that God may do something spiritual in your life. This is spiritual, you see but they castigate us because we have the audacity to call sin sin you see and because of that the world is chaotic all right sardis how many more have we got to go oh we only got 3 sardis the angel to the chapter 3 verse 1 the angel to the church at sardis right he who has the seven spirits of god and seven stars says i know your deeds You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you're not going to know what hour I'm going to come. This condemnation by Jesus was that this church had a reputation. Now listen to me. Had a reputation for being alive but was in fact dead. They were told to wake up to be watchful. Now, what I want you to know when we get there, we're going to deal with it a little deeper. They had a lot of activity, they had a reputation. I mean, if you were to go around the community, if you were to say to them, What's the happening church? What's the church that's rock and rolling? Sardis would have been the church. And yet Jesus says, you're dead, wake up. Let me give you something very profound. You don't know you're sleeping when you're sleeping. How do you know you've been asleep? When you wake up. That's profound, right? I mean, when you're sleeping, you don't know squat. But when you wake up, you say, oh, I've been asleep. Spiritually, that's what he's saying. Wake up. Because when you wake up, you're going to remember you've been asleep and you've missed me. Now wake up. Do the thing. Be watchful. Repent. This church needed a reality check. And how many assemblies today run hither and thither? And everybody hears about them. But they're just corpses. In the rhyme of the ancient mariner, Coleridge writes this. Corpses man the ship. Dead man, pull the oars, hoist the sails, steer the vessel, alive but dead. Hmm? We don't want to be a dead church. We don't want to be sleeping. Not in this day and age. Not with all the people that's all around this church that need a good news of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen there? Okay. Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 11. I'm about to through. be through. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Philadelphia really had no real problems. He encourages them to be content in their persecution. Let their passion live. This is the church of the opportunity. And beloved, I don't know that you know, I don't know that you fully understand the opportunity Indian Springs has. The, oppor- the, the opportunity for Indian Springs for the next five, ten, if the Lord tarries, 20 years is greater than it's ever been we just don't know how to do it we've been struggling this for a pretty good while and we're struggling now and don's struggling he said i know well, how do we get our head around this how are we going to there's 50 something thousand people in a five mile how are we going to how are we going to reach our share we don't know incredible opportunity but we haven't got to figure it figured out you know, now if you want to drop a couple million on us and let's build a bunch of buildings, hey, we might have an answer. We just don't know how to do it. But we're going to get there. Maybe may be my, my dying breath. But somehow we're going to figure out how we're going to reach the opportunity God's given to us. All right, one last thing. Um, Laodicea. Okay, chapter 3. Let's read 15 through 17. I'm through. I know your deeds. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy, have need of nothing. But you do not know that you're wretched and you're miserable. You're poor and you're blind and naked. This is a church out of control. This is a church of the halfway heart. This is a church that was not hot or cold. There was no spiritual healing. There was no spiritual refreshing. They were wishy-washy. They compromised, they caved in, they wanted it easy on themselves. And like I said earlier, with no sacrifice or no suffering, and the problem is the church has always been called to sacrifice and suffer. Okay? When culture creeps into the church, then the church becomes corrupt. It begins to rot from within, and when that happens, Jesus just spits it out. You read church history. That's exactly what happened to Roman Catholicism. Go back and read it. Go back and read Andrew. What's his name? Francis? Go read what Pope, is his name Pope Francis? Pope Francis wrote in one of his homilies this week. And don't, I'm not, don't put words in my mouth, but what I understand, I haven't fully read it, is he just says to everybody, the atheist and I'll just do your best and it'll be okay. That's called universalism. You don't need a Jesus, and you don't need a cross. You don't need a sacrament. You don't need blood. Just do your best, and you're okay. The cardinal. I mean, the pope said that. Why? Because I believe the Lord Jesus Christ has spit the Roman Catholic Church out of his mouth. Because it's a humanistic church. It's not even church. Humanistic assembly. Okay? You see, when you compromise... When you become wishy-washy, when you're not spiritual challenging or healing or refreshing, then Jesus just spits it out because he's under no obligation to show up at any church. What he does is he owns the church. He carries the lampstand. If there's not light truth being shown, then he just starts spitting and vomiting them out. These are the churches we're going to be studying Churches of every generation, and every generation, every church has struggled. So we've got to be listening to what the Spirit is saying to the church. And when we do, we'll overcome. Okay? So I want to say to you in closing, church, you got mail. Okay? Did I tell you about my wife? I did in the first service. I, uh, my wife doesn't know anything about a computer. And so my family would email me. And uh, tell mom, tell mom this, tell mom that. So I, I set her up an email address. And I said, now, Paula, this is your address. Here's what you You click this thing right here. And so I emailed my family, and I said, don't send me mama's stuff. Email her. Well, Jeff keeps sending stuff to me. And I said, Jeff, tell your mama. She doesn't read it, Dad. So I went down and I said, Paula, you got mail. <laughs> Can I say to you, dear Indian Springs faith family, you got mail. What does Christ think of the church? You got mail. Will you join me in a journey? We'll see what God is going to say to the churches. Let's pray. And I'll tell you what, uh, Jared, we're not going to have invitations. I'm cool with this. I I think this is going to be a Bible study. We'll have it from now on probably. But I think today, I just want us to take a moment and just be quiet. Close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. And let's just play a little bit of a game here. What do you think? He who holds the lampstands, who walks amongst the lampstands, what do you think he may be saying to you? Is it possible over the next six or seven weeks, he's going to say something that's going to hit you where you need to be hit? That's going to encourage you and give you courage in areas that need to be encouraged? Or challenge you in areas where you need to be challenged? Oh, dear people that I love so much. You got mail. You got mail. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. And I believe this will be a good study for Indian Springs. I believe we'll be challenged and loved and encouraged. And the thing I want us to get is that you know, you tell us, you know. So you know us, individually and collectively. You know us. And if we have an ear to hear, then we'll be able to understand and discern what you say. And this is going to be a grand journey. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I believe my prayer is that I'll be a better preacher and pastor and we'll be a better people and a better ambassadors in our community. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.